When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. When you see the abomination of desolation, let you, the reader, understand. (laughs) But do you understand what is spoken of there? Abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel, which was fulfilled after the time of Daniel, but before the time of Christ, at least first fulfilled. We actually have this this event recorded uh, in the book of 2 Maccabees, which is included in what is called the Apocrypha, which we as Lutherans uh, included in our Bibles until we decided to start buying our Bibles from generic evangelical publishers (laughs) who don't seem to include those books. We do. We see them uh, useful sometimes for devotion, uh, but the historic books as recording what happened in that intertestamental time, the end of, say, 2 Chronicles and the beginning of the Gospels. And in 2 Maccabees, we hear about the abomination of desolation when the Seleucids came in and ransacked the temple, stole the uh, sacred vessels, and sacrificed um, cloven-footed animals, which were an abomination, were not to be sacrificed. They sacrificed those and worshipped false gods in the temple, which God had established. It was desecrated. It was an abomination before the Lord. It was literally inhuman to behave in such a way, to go against God's word. And there was a rebellion. And according to 2 Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt drove them out of town, and then they purified the temple through ritual acts. And this is the origin, then, of what is called the Feast um, of Lights, sometimes called Hanukkah, right? With the menorah, with its candles that were lit and stayed lit for all of um, seven days on their own. So it was um, that this abomination of desolation had happened. So the reader would understand, had they read 2 Maccabees, maybe we need to read Renew that in our own reading. But Jesus says, Let, when you see, when you see, future tense, the abomination of desolation, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. But I thought the abomination had already happened. Well, it would happen again, and again, and again, until the last day. It happened again after... Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven after the disciples had been benefited with the Holy Spirit and had preached in the languages of the people. After the Council of Jerusalem, where Paul and Peter and the rest of the disciples reconciled in Christ and asserted that they would, the disciples, the eleven, would minister, well, now twelve again, would minister to the Jews and Paul would go and be the the pastor to the Gentiles. Then, under Nero and his predecessor, the Roman Caesar, they came and lay ransacked to Jerusalem, surrounded Jerusalem for years, 
isolating her until, well, as the historians write, they got desperate enough um, even to eat the dead. And in that, the Romans came and they not only desecrated the temple, but they actually utterly destroyed it even to the ground. And as the historians note, many of the things that Jesus prophesied occurred in those days. Before the walls, the city walls were shut and they were surrounded, it is recorded that women would flee if they could as quickly as possible, even casting their children aside in order to escape to safety. It was the winter. It was the Sabbath. It was a terrible time. And it was a great tribulation. Such a great tribulation that everybody who was left was sold into slavery. There was no temple. And the Jews, until recent history, were utterly scattered. But that isn't exactly what Jesus was talking about either. Because then he said there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and no, never will be. A tribulation, he's describing the end of all time, the final judgment, the great abomination of desolation. When even those coming in the name of Christ will preach and teach using Jesus' name, standing in his place in the office that he's established within the congregations he has gathered and preach falsely. To preach in Jesus' name abominations, that which is detestable to God. They might do it pretty subtly. They might say things like, well, marriage was a thing, but now marriage can be whatever we want it to be. Right? Redefine what God has defined explicitly in the scriptures. That's an abomination. We've come to kind of just assume it's normal. Or perhaps choose to ignore or to desecrate the gifts that God has established for your forgiveness, life, and salvation. Rather than gathering around word and sacrament to gather in homes, around the television, with even forsaking the gathering together, even to have that encouraged by the Christian congregation, which is happening amongst us. An abomination, contrary to God's third command. But even more pernicious would be pastors preaching and teaching in such a way that, well, it sounds like it might be from the Bible, it sounds like good advice, it sounds like even good news in a way. Let us all join together and unite and be a harmonious people. Let there not be any more wars. Let there be peace. Let us share all things with everyone in need. Sounds like straight out of the Bible. Of course, describing Christ and his church, but not life on this earth, not a utopian society that we establish by force and coercion and by terror, which you might perceive is happening around you even as we speak with the churches, many churches, quite complicit. Abomination. To try to turn this world into the church, which Christ has not done. To try to gather people around God's word, but misusing it for material and personal and power gains. An abomination. And so, what Jesus saw 
in which the people understood, past tense, is what has been going on since actually the beginning of time. Since the first false sacrifice, which would that have been of Cain, sacrificing his brother Abel in order to cover his own sin, his own unbelief. And so we've seen all sorts of abominations throughout time. Even God's own people, after they've been delivered safely from oppression and bondage and slavery in Egypt, then making sacrifices to a false god which they had engraved with their own hand, which they had taken the gifts that God had given them, that loot, that plunder from Egypt, the gold, and fashioned it into a false god. And even Aaron's misguided, even, well, heretical attempt to shift the focus and say, well, yes, those are your gods. Actually, it's the Lord's footstool. We can have a feast day for the Lord, somehow trying to co-opt this abomination and call it Christian worship. No, you saw what happened then. God was angry, and he did desire to smite them. But Moses interceded for them. And we miss this, I think, because we concentrate perhaps on how he melted down the uh, golden calf and put it on the water and made the people drink it. And that's not Goldschlager, that's terrible. (laughs) No. Moses interceded and said, what will the nation say? What will the, the world say if you smite the people whom you've just saved? You made a promise, Lord. Remember your promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Remember what you had promised to do. Preserve this people. Or in the way of the hymn, preserve your word. Preserve your church. Preserve your people. Preserve their faith. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he proposed to bring upon them, just as he had done in the days of Lot and He has continued to do even to our own day. Despite what the people deserve, despite the abomination that they themselves committed, God always hears the intercession of his prophet, ultimately his prophet Jesus, has mercy on us, spares us, gives us a time for repentance, for renewed vigor and interest in Jesus and in his word and not in our own to refocus our eyes upon Christ and his cross for the forgiveness of sins, to renew in us again devotion, daily devotion to our baptism, the promise that God made to us there, calling us his child, and thus inheritors of everything that his child receives, which is paradise, which is heaven. And of course, focusing our hearts and our love again on Jesus, as he's received by us in his body and blood. Casting aside whatever abominations, whatever we've set up that has gotten in the way of what he, God, has instituted for faith and for life, for salvation, for trust, for confidence, for hope. And so, as Jesus said, if people start to put on a big show and say, go out and There's the Christ. He's come again. Don't believe them. If they say, come here, look, there he is. Don't believe them. Go out to the wilderness. Go into the inner rooms. Don't believe them. 
Why not? Because you have Christ Jesus, you have his institution even now. Yes, you look forward to heaven. Yes, you look forward to the life to come. But you have those now by faith through his word. Jesus is here now present amongst us by word and by gift, by his promise, through his spirit. We don't need to look elsewhere for Jesus. He's already here amongst us, adventing amongst us, as we'll celebrate in a few weeks. And he will come on clouds and on a day of clouds and thick darkness to judge the living and the dead. And where will, would he have, have us be found? Where would he find us? But here in those days, gathered again, as the world is literally going to hell around us, we would be here, listening to his word, praying, maybe even praying that ancient prayer that he gave to us, or that the church has prayed and that he gave to us, Maranatha in Greek, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So we don't need to look elsewhere, and we don't need to fear that day. Instead, we are given to be watchmen on the towers, waiting, looking, doing the best to live in this world while it is yet day, because there soon will be a, a time where it will be night, a night when no one can work. And as we've seen in days of old, whether it was with wicked King Ahab and his unbelieving wife Jezebel, as he had promised to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, so it will be on the last day that those who have gathered around their abominations, well, that's where the vultures will gather. But for us who are gathered around Jesus' word, we will see the resurrection and life everlasting. May God grant it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.